all of the toxic load we have as humans, right? Which is the chemicals we clean with and just all the stuff in the house basically. But you breathe that in as a direct path up into that part of your brain and it's brain inflammation and it manifests in what looks like neurodegeneration um, and Alzheimer's. And you know, a lot of what Dr. Bredesen has, has basically been working towards and he has papers published on this stuff. He, I think he even coined the term inhalational Alzheimer's, meaning mm -hmm. that your Alzheimer's symptoms are actually just a result of breathing in toxins and it getting to your brain and causing a problem. But what's, what he has seen, you know, from, from what I've heard from, uh, you know, others is if you get in there and you address the mold component of it and you, uh, you know, detox properly and you kind of do these things that you need to do that you can reverse that you can start, you know, if you catch it, you can get there and start turning it back the other way. Get to the Root of It is a podcast for the curious health seekers hoping to figure out the root causes of symptoms in order to live a happier and healthier life. We look through the lens of functional and integrative medicine, occupational therapy, yoga, health coaching, and environmental wellness in hopes of sharing valuable ideas that may help someone in some way. We will take deep dives into root causes of autoimmunity and all types of dementia and cognitive decline in order to increase our understanding so that we can reduce our risk and optimize health for ourselves and our loved ones. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical care. We recommend speaking to your own practitioner with any medical questions or health concerns. Welcome to Get to the Root of It. I am so excited to be here with Brian Carr tonight. Brian, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I love doing these. It's yeah. fun. <laughs> so for people who don't know you, can you give us a little background, um, who you are and what you do? Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like the easiest way for people to understand is like, technically I, I go in a house and I, and I find mold in homes that and I tell you where it's coming from, how to fix it. But it's a lot bigger than that. I actually don't describe what we do as a business as like a mold inspection company. I really describe what we do as really a health technology company and we use mold inspections, home inspections as a mechanism to help improve health. And so that's, that's kind of the message throughout our company. And, and the way that we're able to do that is we, we work with practitioners, we work with health coaches. We also work with people who have unexplained chronic illnesses for extended periods of time. The general story, which I'm sure your people probably are aware of, is you've been sick for a while. No one can figure it out. Finally, it gets figured out. And it, and it turns out to be there's an environmental exposure component, usually a mold exposure, mold toxicity component that ends up being kind of like the through line of all the weird symptoms that are happening in different places of your body. And that's really who we focus working with. Like we're not the people that you would have come in because you're, you know, I had a tiny thing over here and I just want, I just want someone to tell me it's okay. We're the people that come in and, and the goal of the, you know, of, of our clients that we work with is we need to figure out what's going on and how to best handle it so we can get better and we can get healthy again. And that's really like our focus. So our entire inspection process and testing protocols and remediation, you know, setups and everything are all geared around 
the understanding that we need to reduce exposure so our bodies can kind of find an equilibrium with our homes and, and breathe with each other. And we do all that through essentially home assessments for, for water damage and mold. But I, I like to think that it's a lot bigger than that. Yeah, it is a, a lot bigger than that. You are in high demand, I think, because this understanding hopefully is um, creeping into more people's awareness that mold can play a role in your physical and mental and cognitive health. It is. I mean, when I, when I started kind of, you know, I've been doing this for like a decade now and there was a point where we started having clients way early on before we knew anything about health stuff. We started having clients who would ask us questions about their health, basically like, Oh, is this safe for me? Is this, am I, what, is this why I might be sick like this or that? We didn't know any of that stuff. We started going to medical conferences, like environmental health medical conferences, which like seven, eight years ago, they were not very big and there was not that many of them. And we were just kind of going for our own education just to see if we could, you know, because we were seeing like a through line. And uh, we started talking to the doctors at these conferences, you know, you, you get there and you start like talking to people and the breaks and stuff and like, hey, so, you know, what kind of medicine do you guys practice? Where's your, where are you located? We're like, yeah, we're not doctors. And they're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> that was like the question from all the doctors there. And we explained what we do. And the response from all of them was like, oh my goodness, we need you. This is a piece that we didn't know existed that could be handled. It really just opened our eyes to like how big of an issue this really was. And if you fast forward from, you know, seven, eight years ago to now, a conference at that time that might've been like a hundred practitioners, let's say, is now like a thousand or fifteen hundred, and what's what's nice and to your point, it is becoming more broad awareness because every one of those practitioners has a tree of hundreds of people they're working with, right? And so, you, you can see it. There's been like kind of it started as like a slow, almost like groundswell. It felt like, and now it's turning into more of like a like a it's okay to talk about this without being looked at weird, you know? Right, right. Yeah, my personal story probably six years ago, maybe. And I was being treated for chronic Lyme. And I think there's a lot of overlap. And it was, you know, nine months in and the doctor says, could there be a mold issue in your house? And I was like, you know what, when I first moved in there, there was a smell. But they said, so we were renting it, it's a beautiful house in a beautiful neighborhood. I loved the house but it had sat empty. There had been leaks from the, from the roof. While we lived there, there, there was a leak at the refrigerator and the dishwasher, but I smelled it. There was something off before we even moved in, but then you get used to it, right? You get used to that smell. I'd leave for vacation. If I was gone for more than four or five days, I would smell it again when I came back. And so I said to my doctor, yeah, there, there might be a mold thing. And once we started searching and found an inspector. Um, I mean, you probably have hundreds of stories like this where you search and search and search. I had one guy came in and said, there's no mold in your house. And he, he just like basically looked around. He didn't even like crawl anywhere or yeah. open anything up and said, I don't smell anything. I think, you know, basically you're, you're nuts. Yeah. <laughs> the second guy came in who had had a personal story. So he, his baby was in and out of the hospital over and over and over his first year of life. And it turned out that the apartment that they moved in was aware of mold and just painted over it. 
Got it. So his baby was really sick. So once he became a mold inspector, he was like an investigator. He went to the job thinking I'm going to help this person mm -hmm. because it happened to me. Mm -hmm. um, and he dug everywhere and he's probably spent two, two and a half, maybe three hours. And one of the last places he checked was the HVAC system. Mm -hmm. and that's where it was the worst. That's where it was the worst. So, yeah. So now, you know, I had my own personal story and now I'm sharing my story and helping others. And you are uh, such um, a wealth of information. I'm so glad to have found you. So I found you because you were teaching a module mm -hmm. in the Apollo Health training that was the recode 2.0 for practitioners so recode reversal of cognitive decline so what does cognitive decline have to do with mold and mold inspection and what are some symptoms that people might have that could be related to mold why is it a, a yeah maker of other things I mean, on the cognitive decline front, so this is where, you know, Dr. Dale Bredesen is, is the lead medical at, at Apollo Health. Um, and it's why we're partners with Apollo Health, actually, because and, and then I got inserted into the training program to help educate the other practitioners on this piece of it. But he is he's done a lot in research and, and basically saying and his point of view and, and and I kind of believe it is Alzheimer's is optional. Um, there are things that you can do from a prevention perspective, but also one of the things I, I caught in speaking with him at one point, <clears throat> a lot of Alzheimer's diagnosis are not really Alzheimer's. It's a toxic overload. It's a mold toxicity thing, an environmental toxicity thing. And I was actually listening to another podcast yesterday or this morning or something. And, um, and there was a doctor who was talking about this too. And what she said, and forgive me, cause I don't know the parts of the brain. That's not my area, obviously, but she said the part of the brain that is is where Alzheimer's originates, which I think she says the hippocampus, which is right near where your your nose comes into your brain. Um, there's no barrier, like not every part of your brain has a blood ba uh, blood brain barrier in it. And so when you're breathing in toxins, and she was talking more broad scope in a home, right? But the reason I connected the dots is because she had Dr. Bredesen on her podcast and she referenced it. She's like, I had Dr. Bredesen on and we talked about this. I was like, oh, okay, I know where Bredesen's head is at. So now let me like hear what she's saying and like put the things together. She's basically saying all of the toxic load we have as humans, right? Which is the chemicals we clean with and just all the stuff in the house basically. But you breathe that in as a direct path up into that part of your brain and it's brain inflammation and it manifests in what looks like neurodegeneration um, and Alzheimer's. And you know, a lot of what Dr. Bredesen has, has basically been working towards and he has papers published on this stuff. He, I think he even coined the term inhalational Alzheimer's meaning that your Alzheimer's symptoms are actually just a result of breathing in toxins and it getting to your brain and causing a problem. But what's, what he has seen, you know, from, from what I've heard from, uh, you know, others is if you get in there and you address the mold component of it and you, uh, you know, detox properly and you kind of do these things that you need to do that you can reverse that you can start, you know, if you catch it, you can get there and start turning it back the other way. So there's a really, that's just one connection to the brain cognitive decline stuff. Um, when we breathe in, we also breathe to our lungs, right? We also breathe into our gut and we also have stuff that moves to our gut. So everything that we breathe kind of moves into different parts, like key parts of our body that become transportation pathways as well. So we breathe into our lungs. We can get out of the lungs into the bloodstream and it pumps everywhere, right? This one piece of it. 
Um, we also can breathe into directly into our gut. And in addition to breathing, you always have kind of like this post sinus drip thing that's kind of dripping down into your gut too. So even if you breathe in and there's mold and there's toxins and stuff and kind of gets into your you know, biofilms and different things in your body that drips down then into your gut where everything goes, you start introducing this stuff into your gut microbiome, which then turns into leaky gut, which allows things to get out of the gut barrier, get into the bloodstream and again, start circulating around. I think this is why people start seeing a lot of uh, symptoms that seem all over the place, right? Because if you're getting into more of like a major transportation center, let's say your gut's open for business and stuff's getting out and getting into your system, then it's going through your blood and it's moving and wherever it kind of holds up, that's where the symptoms start happening, right? If it gets to your brain, then you start getting brain fog and you start getting, you know, kind of early onset, you know, sort of degeneration, these things, but there's also hormone deregulation, there's skin issues, there's, you know, just general inflammation and fatigue. And so like fibromyalgia and stuff like that, like those are diagnoses for when somebody doesn't know what's causing it. Right. And they're like, Oh, you just have this chronic pain all the time. We're going to label it fibromyalgia and then give you some sort of pain reliever or something to try to get rid of it. But it's not actually addressing why it's happening. Right. And so that's why people who have like a mold related illness, the symptom sets across the board, it's skin, it's digestive, it's brain, it's reproduction, it's hormone. It's like all of these different things. It's because it moves around in different ways and it enters your body in different ways too. Yeah. For me, it was mostly anxiety. Mm -hmm. And you had post the other day highlighting, you know, the symptoms of anxiety and the symptoms of mold. And they were exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And when I moved out of that house, the, the anxiety slowly disappeared. And this past year we went on a vacation and we were in like a little bungalow by the beach. And the minute I walked in, I was like, Oh, I smell it. This is not good. This is not good. And my anxiety on that vacation returned like mm -hmm. through the roof returned. Um, so I just want to share with people, like, it seems bizarre. Like how could mold cause anxiety? How could, but if there's any chance <laughs> that you've been exposed, whether it's at your house or I have a client that her exposure is at work and she's not there all the time and we've made a lot of progress. And then it's, then it came up, you know, six months in about this workspace. Um, you know, to just be your own um, investigator. And if there's weird symptoms and there's a mold potential, just check it out. Yeah, let me say this. So a couple of things to hopefully help some people listening. So the first thing you mentioned smells a couple of times, and that's like a huge indicator, but the smell does not happen most times. Mm -hmm. The smell comes when mold is actively eating and, and growing, right? The, so what happens, there's like a digestive enzyme. It has an odor. That's the odor. So mold's eating. Dr. Jill Krista refers to it as mold farts. It's really funny. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's kind of what it is, right? It's the smell that comes when they're eating, basically. Um, most mold problems in homes are not that. Probably 90% of mold problems in homes are not that. So while that does happen, and if you have it, it's like, bam, immediate red flag. There's something pretty significant going on if you're smelling it when you go into a space. Most of it isn't that, right? So when we talk about, you know, be your own kind of best inspector and try to figure this stuff out, we kind of have to understand, okay, well, what are the things that we're looking for or trying to keep our eye out for, be aware of 
if it's not always something that's going to get to us, right? And in most homes that we go into, the issue is historical water damage, historical water intrusions, I should say, that happen. And then not recently. We go in there, it's dry right now, right? So what a lot of inspectors will do is they'll come in, they'll come with their moisture meters and their stuff, and they'll say, everything's dry. Mold can't grow if there's no water. Like, yeah, it can't grow if there's no water, but it doesn't need water to, like, it just needs water at some point in time to grow, right? So, like, think about your grass outside, right? You water your grass, your grass grows. You stop watering your grass, what happens? Your grass doesn't pick up and leave and go look for more water somewhere else, right? Your grass stays there. It just dries out and dies, basically, right? But even if it's dead, if you walk on it barefoot, it hurts your feet, because it, it's sharp and it pokes you in the feet. So this concept that like dead mold is like not a thing that can get you because it's dead. I know like the analogy is not exactly the same thing, but it's a way to like visualize it. Like dead grass is still there and it still hurts your feet when you walk on it. And it's actually worse for you for hurting your feet when it's dry than it is when it's wet, right? And mold in a house is kind of similar. You know, it, it's contradictory almost. It's like, oh, if it's, if it's alive, it should be worse. I kind of argue this the other way around. Obviously, if it's alive and it's growing, you don't want that. And that's the time that it could produce mycotoxins, which are mold toxins. So that's, you know, it's obviously bad there. But when it dries out, it becomes brittle. It's not healthy anymore. It's like that grass. Like you could break, if you, if you guys listening can imagine this, you grab a blade of grass that's dry, you could snap it in two super easily, right? So if you think about that, these mold colonies that grow when they dry out, you get a small little like change in the airflow in your house, which happens all day. You open a door, you open a window, you turn on the exhaust fan in your bathroom, you turn on your dryer for your clothes, you turn on your kitchen, your kitchen air hood when you're cooking, you, and you turn on your air conditioning system. All this stuff sucks air. It moves air. When that happens, air moves through your whole house. And when you do that and you have an airflow, that moves over a dry area of old mold, let's say, it breaks the entire thing into tiny pieces. And those pieces get into our living space and we breed those in. Now, the reason I say that I actually think that these, these historic dried out mold areas are, are more of an issue is because when those pieces break, they break way smaller than the size of a mold spore. So like a lot of us have heard of mold spore, right? Mold spores floating around. Mold spores, if you imagine it, think of it like a mold spore is the size of a beach ball. One of these little fragments that breaks off is like the equivalent to a size of a golf ball, right, in terms of size. So because the fragments are so much smaller, when we breathe, our body has a natural kind of protective filtration system in our nose and our throat to keep junk out of our lungs, basically, right? But these particles are so small, they go right through all that stuff. They get straight into our lung and they pop straight out of the lung and into the bloodstream. And then that's where the systemic problems happen. But if you have a regular inspector that comes in and they're like, oh, everything's dry, there can't be a mold problem. It's just not true. So then what we have to think about when we're in our space is, okay, I'm going to get rid of this idea that there has to be mold like or water right here, right now. Let's just like get rid of that. Right. So then what are we thinking? Well, what, what are the clues that can tell us that there maybe was a, a leak that happened at some point in time, even if it happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if mold grew and you didn't do anything to remove it, it's going to stay there, 
It's not going to go anywhere. It's going to be that, that brittle thing that we talked about. So things like bubbling paint on baseboards or like warping floors, like think of like signs of water damage that you would look at. And that's where stuff is going to be hiding. And I, I say a lot, the secret to finding hidden mold in houses is to not actually look for mold. It's to look for signs of water damage. And if you can retrain your eye to look, let's say next to the, on a baseboard next to a tub where water splashes out and it's a common place for something to happen and look at the baseboard and be like, oh, the very bottom of this baseboard has a little bubbling in the baseboard. Or, hey, there's this little tiny weird stain here that's not four feet over on the wall over here. Why would that be here? These are the places when we go through a house that we say, okay, we need to test behind this wall to see if there's a hidden mold problem back here. It has nothing to do with water right now, right? It has to do with like the footprints of what might've happened historically. So for someone going through your space and saying, oh, I've been sick for a long time. Uh, I've seen a bunch of doctors, nobody could figure it out. I've had a mold inspector just like you. Your story is exactly everybody's story when they come in. Oh, I had an inspector come in. They said everything was fine. I was still sick for another year after that, but I didn't trust my doctor because this guy said everything was fine. Um, if you've had all of that happen and you're not getting better, then kind of rethink about where are the areas where there's the most water in your house happening consistently under sinks, behind toilets, under toilets, by showers, next to showers, just the areas where you don't even have to like look through your house the way that I would do it. Just think of the way the areas where there's just the most natural moisture occurring and start looking around all of those areas for anything that looks weird. Anything that looks like bubbled or buckled or cracked or stained in a weird color or separated or warped or anything like that. And that will give you an idea of like, oh, there's like a few spots here that are suspect. Like these could be things, right? And that's like an easy thing you can do on your own without paying for a single test, without doing anything to at least say, oh, there's actually a potential maybe for something else here. And in conjunction with that, sit down and think about however long you've lived in your place. Has there ever been a leak in your house and not just a big flood, right? Those are easy things like, oh yeah, you know what? Um, this little thing got loose under my kitchen sink and it dripped down in here for a little while, but we fixed the thing. So we're fine. Well, the water still dripped down there and there can still be a mold problem down there. So start like doing, um, like, like doing inventory in your mind, like go room by room in your mind. Has anything happened in this room? Oh, my kid's bathroom. Oh yeah. They splash all the time. Okay. That's one thing. Oh, and you know, this sink had that weird little faucet thing that, that was loose and I fixed it that one time and I dried it out like immediately. It doesn't matter. Mark it down. Right. Cause we know that those areas are a much higher probability that there's something going on. So those are some things for people who are like, you know what, I'm still sick. No, it, it's been a while. Like, should I be thinking about this environmental thing? Should I be thinking about this mold thing? Just go through your house and do those couple things. Pull everything out from your sinks. Look by the showers, look by the tubs look by the toilets and do like a mental inventory of every room and just think through what's happened. And just doing that, look at the list you make. I promise you the list is going to be a lot longer than you think it is once you're done with it. And then it, it's something to help open your eyes of like a possibility of an issue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, that brought up two questions for me. So one, um, what about people that live in very humid areas if they never had a leak? But I've talked to people who lived in Hawaii and said that they had like mold on their clothes in the back of the closet because it mm -hmm. was so damp all the time and most places didn't have air conditioning. Mm -hmm. um, so could that be an issue for just yeah. being in a, yeah. So it's a humidity thing, right? So there, there's actually th three different types of mold groupings when it comes to the amount of water that they need to grow. 
I won't use the science terms, but we'll just say low amount of water, medium amount of water, high amount of water. Low amount of water means humidity over 60%. That's all it means, which means you don't even need a leak. You just need humidity and humidity is moisture. It is water, right? So if you're in a humid place and the humidity in your house is consistently 60, 65, like over that, the reason you see something like that in a closet is because the closet door is shut. There's no ventilation. There's no airflow. It stagnates. The moisture stagnates in there and you start getting mold that grows on stuff. So being aware of the humidity throughout the house is really important. The big area that I see problems in humid clients is, or, or climates is the HVAC systems. Um, and for some reason, these humid climates, people want to put what they call fresh air intakes or outdoor air intakes to suck air from the outside into their HVAC system because it's like clean, fresh air. But what they're doing is they're pulling in 75% moisture humidity into their HVAC system. Their HVACs are covered in mold because they are pulled, they're basically pulling water into their HVAC system through the humidity component, right? So it's really important if you live in a humid place, like personally for me, I would just like try to avoid having any sort of outside fresh air intake at all. If you do have it, then there needs to be a pretty immediate dehumidification that happens on all of that as it comes through. So you pull the moisture out before it gets into the system. But that's another big place we see things in humid climates. Yeah. In my, my personal story, the humidification system was after the filtration system. Mm -hmm. So it was, went through like four or five filters and then they added humidity and then that's where the mold grew and then blew it out to the house. So. Yeah. And you're talking about adding humidity. So again, if it was me, I would never be adding humidity to my HVAC right. systems. Now I did just work on a very large project with a very big house and they had, you know, multiple HVAC systems in their house for this giant house. And they did have humidity, uh, humidifiers attached to where the supply air starts coming out. And so we started having a conversation because my immediate thought was like, yeah, I, this is a bad idea. And so we were talking through it, you know, they have kids, they need, you know, this, you know, they're, bloody noses and the air gets really dry and like all this stuff. And it's like, well, ideal scenario, you're putting like portable humidifiers in places where you need them. If that's not an option. And I asked him about this. He said they exist, which is cool. If there's a way to put in, it's called a hygrometer, which is how you read humidity uh, in relative space. If you can insert one of those into the duct runs at various points, and then have it somehow connect to like a notification system. So if it gets over, let's say 40 or 45% or something like that, it triggers an alarm or a warning of some mm -hmm. kind to then tell you like, oh, there's something weird humidity stagnating in here. And you can get to it before it gets to the 55, 60, like that area where it's consistent and it causes a problem. Then maybe that's an approach where you can keep it installed in your system, but you have to be aware of like what's going on because we can't see our ducts, right? Nobody sees their duct work. So you have no idea if that's happening, you know? Right. It's interesting. Okay. Thank you for, for talking about the humidity issue. My other question is I've heard people say, well, there's must be hundreds, maybe thousands of molds. Like what mold is bad for us? Isn't, isn't penicillin a mold? I've had people ask that more than once. Yeah. It's funny. It's this, it's the first standard, uh, objection to a new concept that somebody's trying to bring, right? So like, no matter what the concept is, if you're like, Hey, I've got this idea, I've got this framework, I've got this thing that I know to be true, but you probably have never heard of it. 
right? And you're going to be skeptical, right? Let me share this thing with you, right? And you start like talking through it. And the first thing everyone does, it's just a natural human thing. The first thing people do, instead of being open to hearing like what's going on is immediately try to poke holes in the thing and, and devalue the thing that's being said, right? I, instead of looking at the person who's sharing the information and you say, okay, here's this person, here's how I feel about this person, right? In terms of their knowledge, what they, all this stuff, Maybe I should like listen to this person, but instead it's almost like, you know, your doctor tells you stuff, people like me say stuff, whatever. And there's a reason we're saying things, but as soon as it contradicts like an internal sort of rule that we have or something like that, it immediately turns into defense mode and defense mode is to start trying to poke holes into something and, and try to get around it. Right. It's almost like we're constantly going to court with ourselves. It's like, you're almost always in trial with yourself because in your mind, your mind and your ego all have like, you've, you've developed thought processes and, and beliefs and internalize a lot of stuff. And as soon as you expose yourself to something that contradicts that, your ego is like, whoa, this is not what we believe. Start poking holes in it. This isn't true. And so we always have to like fight this fight, like with ourselves internally of trying to be more open-minded to things and understanding that we may not know everything about a particular topic, right? And so let's try to hear from somewhere else. So yes, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of molds, right? Some of them produce toxins, some of them don't. Some of them, penicillium is always the good one because they, the, they take the myco that comes off of that and they turn it into penicillin. And now we got an antibiotic that comes out of it, right? And we're like, oh, there's good things from that. That's a byproduct of that mold that we've then like manufactured and turned into something else good, right? it's not just the mold itself showing up and being good for us, right? We had to take it, take something that it produces and then turn it into something that was beneficial for us. That doesn't happen in our houses. In our houses, it's just there, right? So that whole like secondary process of us creating something good, it's like a tree, like paper comes from a tree. So it's not like we have a tree in your house. You have all the paper that you need, right? The tree has to go through a process. You have to turn it into paper. That's what happens when penicillium turns into, uh, um, uh, penicillin, right? So that's the idea. But off of that, mold has been around forever. It's been around before us. It'll probably be around after us. Same with bacteria. And so this is a lot of the, well, it's been here forever. All of a sudden now it's an issue. And what I would say is, you know, forever ago, we didn't have the knowledge that we have now. We didn't know things that we know now, right? If you, if you take the same idea and you put it in 1960, and instead of mold, we're talking about cigarettes. Cigarettes have been around forever. Cigarettes are cool. We smoke them in the delivery room where our kids are being born. We smoke them all over the place. There's nothing wrong with this. Cigarettes have been around forever. Fast forward, cigarettes are killing everybody, right? But now we know it. Now, what was interesting at that point in time is that we knew it, meaning health practitioners, there was research studies that were done. There was a lot of stuff that was done. There was proof that cigarettes cause cancer for like 20 years yet nobody wanted to change it. Why? Because we've internalized that cigarette smoking is okay. And then in our mindset, well, we must be the expert because we know this because we've heard it from so many places. We're not going to take this new idea seriously. Right. And so what happened is everybody started getting cancer and then all of a sudden it was a thing, right? In the mold world, we are following the same path that happened with cigarettes. We knew in 1997 that mold causes health issues. 
It was published. It was done. It starts out with one guy with a crazy idea. This is how all these things start. If you, I looked at like a few different, like big major things like this over history. And it's like, it's always the same path. Some crazy dude that nobody believes figures something out, comes out, figures it out. In our, in the mold world, it was Dr. Richie Shoemaker. He was the first guy that connected it together. He is the person who, uh, who came up with the, with the diagnosis of chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which basically says that your body is going inflamed and haywire because it's exposed to stuff from the outside and it's triggering a bunch of stuff. We knew that in 1997 or eight or nine, don't totally quote me on that, but late nineties, we knew exactly when that was. Then you go like the next is 2023 right now. You go like the next up to now. And what happens every time things like this happen, more and more smart people start looking at that and they expand on the research a little bit and they dive in in a different way and they do something, you know, and they kind of like build and build and kind of snowball this thing, right? In the last 20 years, that's exactly what's happened. There are all kinds of papers out there now on how mycotoxins impact uh, uh, health, human health, animal health, physiological, like all that stuff. There's so much out there right now that it's kind of hard to deny that it's a thing anymore. But the only way that people as a whole population actually start to embrace something like this is if there's, there's downward push from some sort of governmental entity or something. That's usually the way that it happens. So the only reason that cigarettes were no longer a thing is because it started in California and they said, you're no longer allowed to smoke cigarettes, right? And then it rolled out and all of a sudden you weren't allowed to anymore. So the decision was kind of made for people but the, the governmental agencies and stuff that make those decisions, they don't make those decisions early. They're not like early adopters, even though they see it, right? Because the pushback on them is so much. They have to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait until the point where if they don't act, then there's going to be backlash. As opposed to if they act too soon, there would be backlash from the other direction. This is where we are in mold right now. So we could wait another 20, 30 years if we want to for for somebody to decide that there's going to be some sort of regulation and we're going to figure out that, oh man, water damaged houses are bad. This is an, actually an epidemic that's happening in the world. How do we change building codes? How do we change disclosure laws? Like how do we do all that? So we can wait for all that or we could be early on. Imagine if you were smoking two packs a day and then somebody brought to your attention because the internet was a thing back then and you started seeing in your feeds hundreds and hundreds of videos of people like smoking is actually going to cause cancer. And here's the research studies behind it. And you made the choice at that time to stop smoking 20 years earlier than you would have. How much of a huge impact that might have on somebody who, who probably died early because they got cancer, right? That's where we are here. And so all that I'm urging when I tell this entire story is there's enough out there that proves that this is a thing. And we can now make the choice if we want to do look into that on our own and make decisions, keep in mind, like your practitioners, you work, they also, it's not just like research papers, like talk to your doctors. They've been doing these protocols with their patients now for 10, 15 years. How does it work? What have they seen? Right. It's so that there's a lot of like proof behind this stuff and we can get ahead of it. And you don't have to be somebody who's suffering with a chronic illness for 30 years at this point. Right. Like there's a, there's a path out of this and we just have to be open to an idea of, of even just exploring it. It doesn't mean you have to do anything yet. Just explore it. Have the conversations. Take a look at it. Right. I have seen that in multiple scenarios. Really, the, the science is decades ahead of policy change. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was a, 
an undergrad, you know, 30 some years ago. And uh, one of my professors said, oh, don't have margarine. It's partially hydrogenated oil. It was anatomy and physiology class. This is what's bad. This is why it's bad for you. I told all my friends, you know, don't have margarine. Don't have Crisco. Um, but it wasn't until like 20 years later that New York was the first city to ban trans fats. And, you know, now companies aren't allowed to put it in the products. But yeah. that took a long time. But in you know, 1996 or whatever it was, my science teacher was telling me, and there was evidence before that, long before that. So science just takes, policy takes a long time to catch up to the science. So thanks for being ahead of the game. Yeah, you know, we're lucky now, because like for yeah. in the 90s, there was no TikTok and Instagram and stuff. Like you didn't know where to find information like this. I mean, AOL was like just dial up, and you're just like to chat with people on instant messenger and stuff. Like that's what it was. Now, you can search any of this stuff and you can find all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, you have to dig through it. So you find the way that I always say is like, find somebody that resonates with you, right? So like if somebody who follows me, I resonate with them for some reason, right? They're like, oh yeah, you know what? This guy seems to know what he's talking about. He's, you know, this, that, or the other. Find whoever it is. Is it a doctor? Is it someone like me? Is it whatever? Who kind of talks about this stuff. And just when they talk about it, listen to what they say and be like, is that... Does that make sense or does that not make sense? Like, is that like a logical thought process on what they're saying or does like none of this actually make sense? And if it's like, if you could follow the through line, you're like, well, I've never thought of it that way, but like, I understand how they're connecting the dots and I understand what the, this actually kind of logically makes sense. Okay. That's your starting point. Right. And, and that's kind of, you know, with social media, it's so difficult. So you, you have to like screen out who you're listening to. The only way to do that is to kind of spend some time on an, on an individual who might, you might see a post from them or something like, oh, it's interesting. Go and deep dive them for 20 minutes. We all do it anyway. Go deep dive that person instead. Be like, all right, how do I feel about this person? Because this topic I'm somewhat interested in. I heard it on the show. I heard that I see this dude. What, what they're saying kind of makes sense. Does it not make sense? Right. And you kind of go from there. So for someone who is hearing for the first time that mold um, might cause health problems and they're poking holes in the theory, um, they might also say, well, I feel fine in this house. Mm -hmm. My, my wife is, you know, maybe she's, maybe she's, woo -woo, maybe she's, maybe she's a hypochondriac. Yep. So tell me about who is affected, who is not affected? Is everybody affected the same way? No, not everybody's affected the same way. Everyone's affected differently. There's variables in how we are affected by anything, not just this. One is your genetic makeup, right? Which way are your genetic markers switched? Are they expressing? Are they not expressing? Do you have the inability to detox particular things as somebody else just genetically does have the ability to detox? That's the thing. 24% of the entire world population is not able to detox environmental contaminants. It's just a thing. It's a proven thing. It's the HLA-DR gene. You guys can go look it up if you're listening to it. This is a real thing. It's 24% of people. So if I am in my house and my wife is here and my wife is not able to detox, let's say, mold from environmental toxicity, and I am, she's obviously going to be feeling different than I am because my body's able to process it and move it out. And hers, it just builds up and builds up and builds up. You get inflammation off of that. So things will look different there. Another thing is your um, uh, previous exposures, especially, like, especially early on in life, but other times too. 
what that does is it kind of changes the expression of genes if you're exposed to stuff earlier, right? And, and then your body sort of recognizes stuff and it triggers things a different way. So you could have somebody who, if they were not in, let's say, a, a, grew up in a mold basement, in a moldy basement in their house in the 80s or whatever, right? And they instead was somebody like me who I lived in Las Vegas. There was no basements. I didn't really have that. My house didn't have like water damage problems. Luck of the draw, right? I just wasn't exposed to it from where I lived. Even if I had the same genetic makeup here as opposed to somebody who lived in a basement in Ohio, the person in Ohio, their body might actually shift and how they react to things based on what it has been exposed to before and then how the body remembers that thing and immediately goes into a different response when it sees it again, right? Because it would then see it as a threat where my body might not see it as much of a threat if it's a little amount that comes in because our bodies are meant to detox some of it to some state. So if you're somebody who had a previous expo exposure, then your body now views it differently and it will react differently, right? Think of it this way. I go to walk in the door of my house. I walk in my front door. Some dude punches me straight in the face. Had no idea it was coming. Holy shit. This guy just punched me in the face. Next time I go to my front door, you better believe that I'm going to kind of recoil and like prep myself to make sure I don't get punched in the face, right? But if I walk, if somebody else walked up to my door and that never happened to them, they're just going to walk in the door. Cause in what world does somebody stand on the other side and punch you in the face when you walk in the door? Right. And that's how our bodies and our like natural kind of survival, you know, mechanisms work, right. It tries to protect you, you know? And so the response then becomes, I, something has happened to me. I'm going to come into this a little more on high alert. And that's when you start talking about your parasympathetic versus sympathetic nervous system and how your body is like, fight or flight as opposed to like not right and so a lot of the historical exposure stuff is tied to that and then the third thing is your current health position so our bodies are meant to handle a certain amount of stuff right i mean we can be exposed our bodies are amazing things they can heal themselves they can detox themselves but listen at some point it's too much and our bodies just can't keep up right so if you're in a moldy house when I say moldy guys, remember, it doesn't mean there's mold on the walls. It probably means it's all hidden everywhere and it's probably not wet right now either, just to re restate that, right? But I'm in a house with mold issues and let's say I also have Lyme disease. Well, my body's immune response is, is being taxed already from the Lyme issue that's going on. So the amount of additional exposure, think of it like the straw on the camel's back piece of it, right? You get that one little piece of exposure and that might just be enough to flip your body's response into freak out mode. Whereas for somebody who doesn't have Lyme and I walk in that same house, it wouldn't do it for me because my body can still handle more exposure because I have space. I have capacity for detox at that point. So those are like three big reasons why somebody might be feeling one way and somebody might not be feeling that way. And then just to put some context around the whole thing, listen, there are people who get sick and who don't get sick from the same virus in the same house. My kids go to school, they catch all the crap the kids get at school when they're two-year-olds and three-year-olds and it comes home. And for some reason, I don't get sick, but my wife and my other kid get sick. How is that possible? Because we are all different bodies. And for some reason, my body was able to fight it off. Guarantee it, the same germs are floating around. We're all up in each other's face all the time, right? So it wasn't an exposure thing but I was able to be more resilient to it where maybe my wife wasn't, right? And that happens all the time. So look at it through that lens. Like if this, if this wasn't true, then everybody would always get sick from the same thing all the time. And it doesn't happen that way. Right. That is super helpful. That is totally true. So the, the genes, your previous exposure, 
what you, um, what your body is going through at that moment in time. Are you stressed? Do you have nutritional deficiencies? Do you have other virus going on? Do you have um, terrible sleep? Uh, you know, all the things that might stress out your body. And, and then, yeah, we're all different. We're yeah. all different. So we're all probably not going to respond to mold the exact same way either. Um, so let's say somebody is listening and that's my dog trying to get in. He <laughs> scratching in the background. <laughs> He's feeling left out. Um, so somebody's listening. They're like, oh, maybe this could be me. What, what is the, the first thing they do? What, what resources do you recommend to people who are attempting to manage this process? Because I've been there. I know it can be overwhelming. And I know a lot of people who hear this for the first time, they kind of want to put their fingers in their ears and say, la, 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 this is not happening to me um, because it can feel overwhelming. What yeah. resource for people? I mean, honestly, there's a couple paths. It depends on who you are listening and where you're at, where your head is at, where your thought process is, right? If you're somebody, I'll give a couple scenarios. If you're somebody who's like, Brian kind of just described me at the beginning and what he's saying makes sense, right? As we just talked about, it seems logical. This stuff makes sense. Um, I want to try to figure this out. Just, just call us. <laughs> like, like you can get, a, we do free phone consults. Like if they, if that's where you're at and you're like, I just want to like talk to somebody and figure this out and talk it through. We do free phone consults. Um, yes, we inspect.com company's name is we inspect and there's a button, click the button, free phone consult, right? That the, the nice thing about that is that our coaches that take the calls, like they know all the stuff that I'm talking about, right? Cause I've trained them, right? So they kind of know a lot of this stuff and they can help you navigate like, well, what's happening in your house? What's your history? What's your, like, where are you at? The other paths are you do things in order to build up enough of a belief that it might be an issue to then take action right? That's kind of how it works. And so then there's other things you can do to kind of prove to yourself that there's a thing if you need to, before you get to that point. Uh, one thing you can do, you can actually do a dust test in your house and see if there's a bunch of mold in the dust in your house. And if there is, you're breathing it because again, research studies and environmental you know, science studies, the dust that's settled in your house pops up into your breathing zone all the time as you walk and move around. And that's what you breathe in your house. So for some people, they need to be a little more, they're like a little more analytical driven. They need kind of proof from a data perspective. So one thing you can do is actually do an at-home dust screening test, not an at-home Petri dish, not an at-home air samples. Those don't work. Dust sampling is the way to understand exposure in a house. Those other things don't work false negatives all the time. Okay. So you don't want to use those. So dust testing is really the way to do it. You can go to uh, thedusttest.com. You can order a dust test kit, get sent right to you. Do the, do the sampling and the dust. Report comes, basically tells you where your house ranks of all the other homes that were, that were inspected and tested over that period of time. So you have an idea of sort of where your starting point is, right? That test also comes with a consult call that's tied into my team as well, right? So part of the dust test, I'm a, I'm a, in full disclosure, I'm a part owner of the dust test. We developed it. But... It's not just that you get the data that actually ties into our inspection information to give context to what you're seeing, which is no other Hermes or dust tests do that because they don't have access to our information. But on top of that, it comes with a call with the team. Again, the call is the way that you will get all of your questions answered so much more easily, right? Because you could talk to somebody. Now, I know people aren't like totally up for doing that all the time. So then the next thing is, is deep dive my Instagram, deep dive my podcast, Mole Finders Radio. 
it is going to take you longer. You're going to have to search for stuff. You're going to have to find things. But everything that I talk about, I talk about openly and freely everywhere. I don't like put all the stuff behind paywalls or anything. I want everyone to get this information and get it out there, right? So you can go to Mole Finders Radio. You can go to my Instagram or TikTok or all that stuff, which is at Mole Finders. But frankly, like if you're interested, just like set a call. It's totally free. Like we're there to help. Yeah, that's awesome. And for big cases, you even fly around the country and help people. Yeah, it's a good question. So we do inspections all over the country. Um, That's actually what we do all the time, right? So it's not just for big projects. Like we literally, we have... I have inspectors that, that I've trained. So everyone works for, for me, right? So it's not like outsourced or anything. So all of my inspectors, I have them stationed in different sections of the country so we can travel a lot easier. And we go to homes. It's still in-person inspections. We're in, we're identifying the water dam. We're doing all that stuff, right? There's also another service that we uh, just rolled out where we actually do a guided inspection with you where we've developed a mobile app that goes on your phone where we can interact, where you can take pictures and we can comment on what's going on and tell you where we think the problems are. It's as if we are in your house without being in your house. And what does that mean? Lower price point, which is exciting, right? So for people who are like, I don't know if I want to fly somebody out, that sounds expensive. There's another way, we're in 2023, it's amazing what we can do with phones now, um, where we actually have an entire backend tech system in place where we can see what's going on in real time and provide guidance on this area looks like an issue. Uh, this is how we would sample this, you know, all, all of that, all the way across. So you get access to our consultants and our inspectors, but you don't have to wait for them to come out. You don't have to like, you know, and it's, and it's an easier price point in. So we are truly able to service anyone anywhere in any capacity based on their goals and what's going on. So it's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. I love that. I just learned about that. It's, it's still in beta testing or you're, you're rolling it out to everyone soon. We rolled it. We're in beta now. I, by the time this is out, we'll be rolled out, I'm sure. Okay, so we're we're awesome. close. Yeah, we're close to full rollout. So I'm, I'm excited. We've been working on it for two years, building the tech, building the back end, the systems. We're now in like full testing mode and just running through the, the, the motions here. But like, imagine uh, you like got in a fender bender and like your insurance app says, hey, just take these like three pictures of your back fender so we can see it. That's what this is but it's for your house instead of for your car. Yeah, that's awesome. That's going to be a game changer and really bring the, the price point down for people, which mm-hmm. is huge. So I want to just touch on something that you mentioned. You said ERMI, and some people might know what an ERMI is, and some people may not know what an ERMI is. Can you just explain that real quick and how that might or might not be beneficial? Yeah, so ERMI is a dust sample. It's really what's been used for dust testing since, I don't know, like 2011 when it, when it came out, I believe. Um, a lot of doctors know it. A lot of people know it at this point who are kind of in the mold world. It's very familiar. Um, there's actually two parts of ERMI. ERMI is actually not a sample. It's marketed that way and it's sold that way, but that's not what it is. When the EPA, so it's based off an EPA study that was also done with the American Housing and Urban Development uh, together. They did a joint study. I want to say it was 2011. They looked at 1,100 homes. I mean, 2008. I forget. Um, but anyways, they looked at 1,100 homes, and they were trying to figure out some sort of like index rating system. Was is a house moldy? Is it not moldy? Like they're trying to figure out some way to get some some concept and context for this stuff. When they were doing it, two things were created out of this. The first thing 
was what's called mold-specific uh, quantitative polymerase chain reaction. So we've all heard of PCR testing after COVID, right? So basically it's mold specific species PCR testing. That's what they created. So PCR needs basically a, um, a sequence that it's looking for, and that's how PCR works. So what they did throughout this, this uh, development here is they created the, um, uh, the reference points that the PCR can look for for particular species in a house. They identified the 36 most prevalent species in a house, and so that was the, um, uh, the panel that they created. That is actually the sample. The sample is the PCR analysis of the 36 mold species. That is what your sample is. When the result comes back, each of the 36 species has a number next to it, and that is what was found, essentially, right? The number of fragments and spores that were found tied to that mold species. That is your actual sample. Now, the ERMI piece of it is the second thing that they created, which, is, uh, which stands for Environmental Relative Moldiness Index. It is a scoring and interpretation of the PCR data, okay? So when people do ERMIs, and they call them ERMIs because it's just easier to call it that, it's been kind of lumped in where like ERMI is the sample, but the ERMI is not the sample. The ERMI is an overlay of interpretation on the PCR data that's collected from the sample. And what's wrong with the problem with it is that the interpretation is just completely off and wrong. And I don't think they knew it at the time, but now as time has gone on, we've just, we've seen where the problems are with it. And the thing is with something that's developed in that way is that it's not constantly updating. It's like one of these things where they put it out and it is what it is, right? And then we kind of realize later what the problems are. So let me like explain how it works. And then everybody will kind of, again, does this make logical sense to me? So I'm going to tell you the logical sense piece of it. And then you can kind of see why there's a lot of confusion in ERMI, but why there's also a lot of value in it too, right? It's kind of like a double-edged sword. So the way the scoring system works, the molds are separated into two groups. If you look at an ERMI result, you'll have group one, which they call water damage molds, and then group two, which they call common indoor molds. First, spoiler alert here, every mold is a water damage mold. The fact that they somehow named them differently for some reason is crazy to me. Mold doesn't grow without water. You can't have like a non-water mold. It's not a thing. So they're already kind of like misleading on the titles of the different groups, right? And so immediately, if I just knew that and I looked at the common indoor molds and some of those are really high, let's say, I'd be like, oh, well, they're common indoor molds. It's like devaluing the importance of exposure to a mold when the reality is some of those take as much water to grow as some of the ones in the other columns. So there's like a really big disconnect there on just the labeling system. So that's the first piece. But then the second thing is, which is the bigger piece, is how the, the ERMI score is created. So what the, what the ERMI did is their index basically goes from like negative four or below all the way up to 20. And there's four quartiles of analysis in it. So you can be Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, and you get a score. So let's say your score is you know seven or whatever. Seven would be in the highest quartile score for them. So it would come back and it would say high mold load. That's what it would say, right? It would be like a scary thing on there, right? And then if you had something that was like negative two, let's say be like, oh, there's literally the best house you've ever walked into in your whole life, right? Negative two, it's great, right? And that's kind of what it is. Now, the problem is how that number is calculated. The way it's calculated is it takes the group two molds and there's a total at the bottom, right? It sums up a total. And then it subtracts that total from the group one molds, Okay, so I know people listening, it's hard. So let me try to give some things for context here. Let's say group one, the total is 10. Let's say group two, the total is five. Okay, 
So what's going to happen, group two is five, you're going to subtract that from 10, and you're going to get a score of five, right? 10 minus five is five. Okay, that's what you're going to get. Five means in the Ermi scale, you're in the highest range. That's what, that's what a score of five means, okay? Now, let's say that you flipped the numbers. So let's say group one was five and group two was 10, okay? So now what you're doing is you're subtracting 10 from five because you flip the numbers around and five minus 10 is negative five. And now you are in the least mold healthiest house that's ever existed on the planet. It is the same exact amount of mold in the house. It's just different ones. That's the problem with the math. And so what it does is it deval it not only like devalues certain molds on the one side of the fence, but it also like, because of it, it reduces the value of the other molds on the other side of the fence because it's subtracting from them. When the reality is mold is mold. And if we are sensitive to an environmental issue like mold, our body doesn't care what mold it is. It's coming in and our body still has to clear it out, right? It comes in and we still have to detox it. We talked about that straw on the camel's back. We have, you know, detox capacity, like all that stuff. So if you're exposed, and so let me give you exa another example here, right? So you can see like how different it can be. So I said 10 in group one, five in group two, okay? So say that total of those is 15. So your total mold load in your entire house is 15 if you added those together instead of subtracting it, right? Now let's play it different. Let's say group one is 50 and group two is 45. Okay. You subtract 45 from 50, you get the exact same score of five on the bottom. But if you added them together, you're at 95 instead of 15. There is so much more mold in that second house than there is in the first one. And the score looks exactly the same. And that's where the problem is with this. So what we did with the dust test is we used the same PCR sampling, which is truly what the sample is. But instead of putting the ERMI interpretation on it, we went back into our inspection data over the last three years at the time that we put this together. And we looked for correlations on where that house would have ranked. Think of it like a percentile basis and all the homes that we inspected to provide context for how significant of an issue your home has in relation to the other homes that are out there, which is really why people are doing this. They're doing this to figure out, do I have a mold issue? And if I do, then the next question that comes up in your mind is like, well, should I move? Like, should I stay? Like, that's always the next question if you do, but you can't answer that question really if you don't know how your house compares to the other ones, because you may have a mold issue in your house, but you may also be in like the, the bottom 20 percentile of all the homes that have been looked at. And so if that's the case, it makes more sense for you to try to stay in the place that you're in because your starting point isn't very bad. You can remediate maybe a couple things, get your exposure down and start to be better, right? On the flip side, if you did the dust test, it looks at all the same molds. It'll show you all the individual species exactly the same as an ERMI would. But then you run it through our interpretation, which attaches to all of the inspections we've done. And you see that you're in like, the worst, like the 90th percentile, which is the worst 10% of houses that we've seen over the last you know, period of time, then you're like, oh man, like if I'm starting this bad, mm -hmm. like maybe, maybe I should be looking to move possibly, maybe I should be doing something else. So the context that you get specific to your situation is the thing that I wanted to be able to create in a dust test. Cause I just kept getting calls from people 
and we would like review stuff with them. Here's my Ermi. My doctor says it's fine because it's under a two. And we're like, no, this Ermi says there's a massive problem going on somewhere, but there's just no understanding of how to interpret it anywhere. So we're like, well, let's just take the score thing out and let's just make it very straightforward. Your house ranks here compared to all the other ones. Let's have a conversation about what we do. Right. And that was, that was the idea for the dust test. So that's why, that's why we made it. That's why I always recommend people go there versus the Ermi because it's just, it's more confusing. Now, if you have done an Ermi already, the core data that's in the dust test, I originally created something called the Ermi code where you can plug in your Ermi and it will analyze it through all that same data set and tell you the same information if you need to. Right. So you can do it there, but if you haven't done an Ermi yet, it's actually cheaper to go the dust test route and have it run through that way. Okay, good. Thank you for sharing that. So you've shared a lot of awesome information and I have one very specific question that came from a client because I was like, All right. interview Brian this week. Does anybody <laughs> have any special questions? So the question is, um, okay, I live in a condo. My space is clean. No mold, I think. No, it hasn't been tested, but... Right. We're concerned about the hallway. Okay. So how far does that mold travel? So if you have a big house and you have a leak in your upstairs bathroom, like, do you need to throw out the mattress in the bedroom across the house on the first floor? No. So that's a really good question. So a building is completely connected if it's the same building, which means something that's happening in a couple rooms down can move over somewhere else. Right. Now, the easy, there's really two ways that stuff moves around significantly. One is through something called the stack effect, which basically says that the, air, the natural airflow pattern in a house, in a building is bottom pushing upward toward the top. That's why like if you've, if you've ever been in like a two-story house and you don't have the air conditioning on upstairs and it's a hot day outside, downstairs will be cooler than it is upstairs. You walk upstairs, you're like, God, it's so hot up here. Why is it so hot up here? That is the stack effect pushing that air up. Right. And so it sits up there. So you're feeling that. Right. So that's the first way that things move around. Now, the second way things move around is through mechanical ventilation systems. It's not the only, it's not only two ways, but these are like the two main ways things move around. So I think you have an air conditioning system. It sucks air in from somewhere. It then spits it out somewhere else across the house. You've now created a path, a forceful path to move that stuff from one place to the other. It's like a transportation. Right. So that's the other way stuff moves around. So when you're in a bigger like apartment building like that, there's some other variables that come in because every unit has its own air conditioning component, right? So yes, stuff is moving up, but then as it gets up into a space, it gets pulled into the air conditioner or, the, or as they're running it and kind of gets redistributed and then things will continue to get pushed up. So there will be influence from other spaces outside of your unit. It's hundred percent. It will happen. That's just something that happens. That said, I've had plenty of clients who have been in condos and stuff, and we've gotten their place in a good spot because that's all you can control. And then supplement with like air purification systems and you know things like that to help keep their interior of their space clean on a maintenance point of view. And they've been able to be okay there, right? So I think that there's paths and things that can be done for that. But technically, if you have something in your hallway that's really close to the front door out, like it totally can work its way in, right? So like if I was saying, okay, I have to stay here. There's no option to go buy a house because everything's a bajillion dollars right now. And I'm going to live in this condo and this is where I need to be. Like, okay, 
What do we need to do in here to understand how much of an issue might be coming from inside the house versus not, right? And what that means is you need to do an inspection and figure out, do I have internal sources that are going on? Because there might be something outside that might be pushing in, but if you have a lot more in your interior space and you remove all of that and you get it, you, you know, you kind of get it remediated properly, then there's way less influence now coming into your house, even from that space adjacent to where you live. And then what you can do is bring in like air filters, like high end medical grade air filters that get these tiny particles out. And you can put that maybe near the front door for an example or something to help kind of counteract that stuff before it gets into your space and kind of work out a plan like that. So these are the types of things that, you know, that we talk about with people. Yeah. I'm sure we could talk for many hours because you have, you are a wealth of information. So what well, we're going to, we're going to cap it off now. So we have a baby that might wake up any minute <laughs> and, and, but let's re, um, reiterate, where can people find you? So people have inform have a question, they know where to go. Um, your Instagram, your website, all of that. Yeah. Fastest, quickest answers. Yes. We inspect.com. Click the button for a free phone call. It's free. I promise you don't, have to, you don't have to like pay afterwards. Like, you know, like you're billing a lawyer's time or something, get on there. We can help, right? Sometimes it means we can help you. Sometimes it means we give you a resource that might be beneficial for you. Like whatever it is, right? Start there. If somebody who's like, eh, I'm on the fence of calling them or whatever. My Instagram at mole finders has a bunch of stuff. My podcast is basically me. I mean, there's like, 150 hours of me going through like every topic I could think of on there. So there's a lot there. You'd have to dig, but there's a lot there. So those are some places you could go. Yeah. Brian, thank you so much for your time and wisdom tonight. We're grateful. Um, I'm going to have like 400 clips that I can make from this because there's so much, so much value that you shared. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Love it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.